I tend to laugh a lot. And my hope is that in the middle of the laughter, the seriousness of some of the things I say doesn't get lost. <laughs> so, so my hope today is um, to take us from where we left off to where we're going to be this Sunday. Um, so this is a storytelling sermon rather than a preach. And I'm hoping that in the story, you will hear the, the lessons that are repeated and pick up what it is that God is saying to us through history, leading up to what we're going to celebrate on Palm Sunday. Now, um, the text we've read from is from Zechariah, who is one of the minor prophets, and he fits in towards the end of the Old Testament, and he's got many things to sort of say about that period just before God went quiet for 400 years. That period of just before the, the great silence. Um, and um, that will be the end point of our story. The beginning point of our story is what we've been doing, which is the Ten Commandments. And I particularly wanted to focus on the first one, which is on verse 3 of chapter 20, which is this. You shall have no other gods before me. One line. And Richard spoke about that excellently. You shall have no other gods before me. So Israel is delivered from Egypt. And they find themselves in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. And they come to this mountain where the God who is the God of their forefathers tells them the things that they need to do in order to reflect him to the world. He tells them how they need to behave in order to honor the name that they have been given as his people. The God of Israel is how we know God. There is no other way. He's not the God of the French. He started with the Jews, and that's how we get to know who he is. He's the God of Abraham, a specific person, Isaac, a specific person, Jacob, a specific person, and Israel, a specific people. So whenever we want to know which God we're talking about, we point to this God through these people that he interacted with. And they were supposed to reflect him through the rules that he gave them. And we've read how the cloud came and covered the mountain and they were afraid to go up and Moses uh, went up and received these things and came back down and when he went back up again, God stopped him halfway, spoke to the Israelites, gave them the Ten Commandments and how they were terrified about it all. What happened to them shortly after? Well, they carry on wandering through the desert. They grumble, they complain. We have no water again. God says to Moses, go speak to the stone. Speak to the stone and the stone will get water out. Moses and Aaron stand by the stone and what do they do? Moses says, what are we going to do with you guys? Do you want us to get water from a rock? And he strikes the rock twice and doesn't give God glory. And so a couple of years later, Moses is taken to the top of a mountain. He's shown the promised land and he's told very clearly he's not going to go in. Why? Because when the time came for him to obey that first commandment and have no other God other than the one he serves, he chose to serve himself. Both he and Aaron die in the desert. The people who receive these Ten Commandments, do they make it to the Promised Land? No, all but two. All but two, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else 
complains in the desert about no food, complains in the desert about having to eat the bread that they received every morning freely. They complained about it. They grumbled. Someone actually committed adultery in the face of everybody. And God sent a plague upon Israel of snakes. So what did he do to save them from the plague? They built a, a, a snake and put it on the cross. And we still have that on some of our insignia for first aid and health and well-being. But actually the root of that is the disobedience of Israel. They did not do the thing. That is the first thing that he said to them they're supposed to do. Honor the Lord your God. Have no other gods but me. So they land themselves uh, in, Jericho, in, in, uh, in the, 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 the promised land now. Their fight starts from a very important place, especially for us as we go into um, next week. Jericho. The first, the first major thing they have to face is this fortified city. And all roads from Jericho lead to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is derived from the word shalom, the place of peace. So the Israelites, after wandering in the desert for 40 years, God getting rid of the people who didn't trust him, are led by the priests across the Jordan on dry land into the promised land. And where did they start from? The lowest place on the planet, Jericho. And after years of wars upon wars upon wars upon wars, their king, David, fights one of the last battles to take over the city of Jerusalem. And once they're in Jerusalem, with the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, Israel knows peace with their king. Do they stay honoring God? No. The first commandment they break. Does David stay honoring God? Actually, no. He breaks it himself with Bathsheba, where he could have honored his God. He thought selfishly. So Solomon, the, the son of Bathsheba, second son now, because the first one passed away, he's the one who's honored with the task of building the temple. They build this incredible temple. It's huge. It's magnificent. So they receive donations from all over the world to build this because they are in Jerusalem, the city of peace. They've conquered everything. There is no threat anymore. They build this magnificent temple to worship God. But do they stick to the task? No. King after king after king after king. No one obeys this God. So what does God do? And we encountered this in our series on Daniel. He sends Babylon to come. Sends Babylon to come. Every time you hear Babylon, think chaos. Because every time God invokes the word Babylon, that's what he's pointing towards. I called you out of Babylon. That's where Abraham was before he was moved. I called you out of there. When humanity chooses to work it out for themselves and build a tower, what do they call it? The tower of Babylon, chaos. So God sends Babylon to come and Israel is taken from the land, taken from their city, the city of peace. They no longer live at rest and are taken as, as uh, captives, as exiles to a place they do not know. 
And then we hear the story of Daniel, where God is saying to them, be faithful in a foreign land. And a promise is given to them through the prophets that after 70 years, after 70 years, I will send you home. I will send you home. You can read through the story of Daniel to see how that goes. They stay for 70 years. When the time comes for them to go home, Ezra and Nehemiah, two lovely books, lost in the middle of all the texts, talk about how Darius, the king, gives Nehemiah permission to go back and build the temple and build Jerusalem. And that's where we find our prophet Zechariah. Zechariah and Haggai are prophets in this time where people are now making their way back home after 70 years in exile. Now, when they come back, the city isn't what it was like before. There are people who left the city when they were young who are coming back older, still alive. When they start to rebuild the temple, and they lay the foundations for the temple. The whippersnappers, the young ones who don't remember what the old temple was like, celebrate the fact that they've laid down the foundations for a temple and it's like, yay! We're gonna have a temple again, we're gonna worship God. But those who remember what the temple was like before, they weep because they can see just from the basic foundations, the gulf in standard between the temple they had before and the temple they're due to inherit. And it's in this space that Zechariah is speaking. He says to them, look, look, God has been faithful. We have been unfaithful. God has been faithful. We have been unfaithful. And the fact that we can see this and say, this is not what we think is worthy of God should tell us that God's work isn't done. Should tell us that God's work isn't done. So look forward, look forward, like we did years before in generations, to our king, like David did, riding into this city of peace, who will come to this very city and ride into it. So the prophecy comes. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout. Daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Names it. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. In poetry, the king who Samuel, God through Samuel said to David was going to come who God has continuously promised in the face of all our rotten human kings who would sit on the throne and rule forever, that king is going to come. So you can lament, and that's okay. The old temple was glorious. This one is nowhere near it. But we are here because we did not obey that first commandment. And where we have been unfaithful, Hear the word of the Lord. He is continually going to be faithful, continually. And his ways will not be thwarted by our disobedience. And he will come and enter this city of peace. And his reign, his government will be of peace upon his shoulders, Isaiah says. He will come, he will come, 
He will come. He will come. He will come. And this is how you will know. This is how you will know. Because he will come riding on a colt, the fall of a donkey. And then what happens? Silence. Where God spoke to Israel through their prophets. He spoke to Israel through righteous people. He spoke to Israel through Moses. All the way from Abraham, continuously, God was saying something to someone at some point in time. Silence. Silence. It's so quiet, the priests get bored offering sacrifices. They tire of it because they don't see or feel the presence of God among them. 400 years. And then John the Baptist. And then the stirring of things that happen. Oh, did you hear about the angels singing about the birth of this child? Did you hear about the wise men? Did you hear about the prophecy from Isaiah being fulfilled? The virgin has given birth. Did you hear about that? Ah, okay. He's grown up now, 30 years later. He's coming. Where does he set out from? Jericho. The first, first hurdle in the promised land. Where is he headed? Jerusalem. The last hurdle in the promised land. We have a challenge from this story, which is, what are we to do with that first commandment? What are we to do with it? Um, and I can't answer that for you. I can only present the question. Is God the Lord of your life? Do you honor him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you know the peace that Jerusalem is? If all these questions are yes for you, fine. Celebrate this, this coming uh, Palm Sunday. If they're no for you, if they're a no for you, then you've got days until Sunday to, to really think what you will say to this king when he rides towards you, unassumingly on a donkey. You know what they said. They welcomed him. But when he started to talk and tell them about themselves and about who he was, they changed their tune very quickly. And instead of bless the Lord, they yelled crucify. For us, as non-Jews, that makes Jerusalem the final battle for the king. And he goes willingly, he fights for us, he dies for us, and in victory is resurrected for us so that we can know peace. And that's the story. That's all I've got. Let's pray. <laughs> Almighty Father, thank you so much for history. Because to meet you face to face might just be too much. You have weaved who you are, what your character's like, into our story. Through those who've gone before us and through Jesus, your son.
as we come to the end of Lent and look towards Palm Sunday and Holy Week. Would you prepare our hearts, Lord God? Would you reveal to us where the fortified cities are that you need to come and tear down? And where that hill, where the gods of ourselves need to be destroyed so that we may welcome you wholeheartedly to reign. In your mighty name, amen.